Welcome to the Mary's Mentors Podcast. My name is Mary Rose Swan. And I'm Mary Letitia Deal. And this is a podcast about business, life, human design, and whatever the fuck we want. (laughs) Good morning, Mary. Good morning, Mary. How are you today? I am doing pretty good overall. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. It's Thursday already. I thought I had a more interesting answer than overall, good overall, but I'm, that's what I'm sticking with. So yeah, it is Thursday. It's actually, um, you know, as we're recording these time, this, the 2021 year is definitely zipping right by. It's only 10 weeks left of school right now. I know that's really exciting. It's really exciting. <laughs> so exciting. I've got a lot to talk about on our topic today is, that I'm excited about. That's actually like part of why this topic is really fun. Um, so before we dive into topic, topic, what have you been watching, reading, listening to that you love? Uh, it's been a busy week. Honestly, I haven't done any watching um, at all. And uh, I got in a couple mindset mentors. Um, did you listen to Life School podcast this week? I did not. But tell me I about the were in months and months. But um, she had one on coaching this week that I thought would be really interesting for us. I haven't listened to it yet, but it popped up, so I flagged it. So okay, well maybe we'll make that homework next week. For what's that? Maybe we can make that homework for next week. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. How so, about you? What well, you- so you didn't actually have an answer. Just Life Coach School pod- a Life Coach School podcast episode you didn't listen to is your answer. <laughs> I fucking love it. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> number 362. Awesome. Um, oh, Aliveness is her next episode. I wonder if that was probably a good topic too. Aliveness. Uh, I know you know what I will say has been the thing that I love this week. (laughs) Um, For those of you that don't know, I love anything clever. I'm a pun fan. And um, I found a podcast by a comedian I like and another comedian called Mission Zach's Leguizamarama. And it's like not, it, it started less than a year ago. So I feel like I'm still riding the the wave of, of this is still sem- semi-new. It's like July was when they started it. So we're still semi-new. We're in the first 12 months of when this podcast started. And it's just, they talk about a John Leguizamo movie and I love movies and I love comedy and they're exactly what I need. And it has been a binge this week. I will tell you, I have not listened to a mindset mentor. I have not done any mind work because I'm just letting Australian comedy be my self-care this week. It's cradling me in a way I didn't realize I needed to be cradled comedically. Well, we rearranged the living room so that the record player is set up properly. And mm-hmm. I can record. So I really am listening. I mean, we have hundreds of records so this week has been jazz I've been listening to every jazz record that I can find and I I've not found more joy in playing music in I don't even know how long and the process of actually getting to 
play with a record. We need a record cleaner, it uh, turns out, but. Um, One of the I, felt thing or the, the velvet kind of covered. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, and that's been bringing me pure joy. It's like a hug every time I get to put a new record on. See, and you say that and it makes me like, I feel simultaneously, and I told somebody last night I was jealous. So I'm like, I'm just owning jealousy as saying like, I'm so jealous, not like in a bad way, but just saying like, but it prompts me to think, okay, I've been talking about getting a space for my record player since I got the record player. And it's still like, my husband says that that's the hoarding corner of the kitchen because it's just littered with records that my dad gave me and this beautiful old 60s record player from the California school system. He's got these amazing Caliphone record players. Um, and it's just, it's, I love get, busting it out. Like my favorite thing to do is crank up the volume and listen to like Dire Straits. I know that sounds weird, but I love, I've got a couple of Dire Straits records and I just like it, like, especially on Money for Nothing, you know, the the intro, that slow yes. intro, and it builds, and then the guitar solo, like, yes, yeah. yes, that guitar solo makes my little chest, like, swell. I had a lot of chest swelling yesterday, we like, have, in a good way. I mean, Josh has so many records, and most of them are, like, from a record label, like, his family was in the record business, mm -hmm. like, most of them say do not sell um, because of their promo copies and whatnot, but we ran into his dad's records and you can tell that they are his dad's records because those covers have been like just worn the fuck out. Pulled out. Tell that he has listened to these over, they've been through some water and some, you know, so like his Fleetwood Mac and his Jimi Hendrix and his, I mean, these Beatles, oh my God, his Beatles records. No, I have such a fucking soft spot for Beatles records. My mom had a huge Beatles collection because of course she grew up, you know, she was born in 59. So, I mean, like in the seventies, especially, and I think maybe she got some of them, she might've sold them for my dad. That probably works out that, you know, they just melded some of their record collections when they got married. Um, but yeah, I listened to the Beatles formatively. Like when I got a record player, when I was 10, my sister and I fucking listened to I the bet. Beatles. Well, so and the music is so, so iconic. Like you can just, like you, it just brings you uh -huh. back wherever you heard it the first time. I don't know. It's like, one Beatles song, I, I don't have a lot of songs for any kind of memorial service for myself, but In My Life by the Beatles is one of my songs. Just for the record, I want to make sure that I put that it's on in. on the record now. On the record now, because we're recording it into a podcast. But yeah, it is. It's it, I love, and now my kids can kind of ear pick the Beatles. I'll quiz them like, and I quiz them because I listen to a lot of the Rolling Stones too. So I want them to be able to clearly delineate. Clearly. Um, the work of the Stones versus the Beatles. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there was a Stones record in there and then a Led Zeppelin, like just some, you could just tell, like the second you picked one up, you could tell which ones were his records. Ooh, yeah. And then we were excited to get those ones out and listen to them, so. It's like books that people love. They're like mm -hmm. um, really well-loved and well-worn mm -hmm. and yeah it's soft almost like you can find on the covers too i can i bet that they're probably just feel a little bit different 
Um, and looking at, like, I was always someone that opened CDs and looked at liner notes and yeah. stuff. So now record oh liner. God. Record, records are the best for that. And then some of them even have, like, when you take out the record and they've still got the sheet on them. Mm, like the tissue paper sheet? Yeah, the tissue paper sheets. And on the jazz records, a bunch of them have, like, a whole nother set of, like, either lyrics or writing or, or graphics on those as well, which is very cool. I just, I love the whole process. It's made me very happy. See, so I love in between work, but I've just been working my tail off other than that. Then we just started talking about records for, like, a whole 20 minutes. We, this became a record podcast, guys, um, and we've actually got a couple record stores here. It, I know Smiling Dog is going to be opening back up. I hear that they've been closed this whole time, so Smiling Dog's reopening. Not sure where that one's at. That's the one that's right over the railroad tracks on the corner of Minnesota and Twenty oh, okay. Seventh. Down on that's the one with the big marquee and stuff. So we went to the little local one up here that's like on Fifteenth and Central. Cameron. Is it Cameron? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, and they had quite a good selection, but that's where he ended up getting this. See, and I'm like, we need to go to the little Oxford antique store again. Yes. because they have great records very inexpensive and i really like i know that the people might be looking for things that are more contemporary in a lot of record stores and i'm like no i want stuff from the 30s i want stuff from the 40s i want stuff from the 50s i'm not looking for contemporary i'm i am really much more of a i want something that sounds better with the sound of a needle which all things do um it's true. So what's our topic today, Mary? I was just going to ask you the same question, Mary. Um, our topic today is about uh, deconditioning. And this has uh, everything to do with human design. So you want to give us some details? I would love to give you some details. I would say, so deconditioning, and I've got some interview style questions for you that I typed up before we started because I figured it would be interesting to apply these and we'll ask the questions and answer them. But deconditioning, we we did read an article, which we will, because now we're getting, (laughs) bless you. (laughs) We don't edit. And I just want everybody to know I'm not going to be editing this podcast. So if you hear sneezes, that's the way it's going to be. Okay. So the article that we read was really interesting and we'll put it in show notes because we are going to make sure that we've got that stuff in there. So um, the uncompromising nature of deconditioning, I'm not going to just read directly from the article. There's a couple of things I really liked some little pieces here and there, but essentially the idea being that our body takes about seven years for our cells, the cells that regenerate within our bodies to make a complete overhaul. So in essence, you seven years from now, in terms of at a cellular level are a completely refreshed version of yourself. Um, And what we've discovered about human design or that I've discovered about human design is that in the literature that's out there and you know, there is, Forewarning, it will all sound very cultish when you are reading and experiencing human design information. That's my little uh, spoiler alert. But that seven years is how long it takes an individual to decondition themselves. And deconditioning, I think it's really just easy to explain that as we are brought up in this world, in society, within family structures, 
we are conditioned by things outside of ourselves to use our mind and to ignore our body response to things um, because that is what we would consider because it's driven by the mind, it seems most logical. And I'm using air quotes on logical. What human design posits, what it theorizes, is that our bodies know what we need to do. And if we give our body the, and this is a term within uh, human design, the authority to help us make our decisions, then that therefore decreases resistance. The resistance that we experience in this world really does come from fighting by way of making our, you know, letting our brain kind of do this heavy lifting on what's right for us instead of letting our body do that heavy lifting. We've been told not to trust ourselves. I mean, really, um, whether you're a man or a woman, you're told that to, you know, and I think that this comes and I'm going to, and I'm going to stop talking in a second, but um, you know, we've talked about how at some point within our lives, we go from children who do enjoy movement to children who begrudge movement, who no longer like movement to then becoming adults who resent movement. And, you know, that whole cycle of, hating exercise, I think is the perfect example of how we condition ourselves basically through our mind telling us that something is uncomfortable and we don't want to do it rather than our body's obvious, our body's response to a need for exercise is to gain weight and feel bad. I mean, really? (laughs) Anyways. Okay. I feel like I have just stepped up onto a soapbox and now I'm stepping back down off of it. Do you feel like that is a good representation of what deconditioning is and conditioning in general? I do. I do. I feel like uh, deconditioning is definitely, I didn't really, because I'm so into the brain work of things that until I read this article, I really didn't take on the physical aspects of the deconditioning, although it makes total sense that your cells are regenerating. And literally the things that we've been conditioned with are in our tissue, it's deep, it's, it's, it's very, I mean, it's not just our mental conditioning that we go through every day and we have our whole, through our whole lives, been told not to trust ourselves, not to, not to listen to our guts. Um, those types of things. So I feel like it's a holistic process. That mm-hmm. I feel like it, it starts with our mind and has to go through the physical process of our body. And so that, that cell re- re- regeneration is the end work of where we start in our, in our mind and really allowing ourselves to listen to our body and to really feel ourselves in, in a way that we have been told not to our whole lives. Exactly. And you brought up an interesting point and it kind of brought me back to, I don't think you managed, you weren't on our call on Monday is early. So I think you missed the quote about, you know, the Jack Canfield piece that our, our coach works with, but she talked about visualization on Monday. If you go back and watch the recording, that was what she talked about. And as you were saying that I was thinking, you know, how much of our conditioning is visualization that's given to us. Like this is, especially because we, 
when we think about what people were conditioned with when they only read books, because there was no fast food media, there was no TV, there was no movies, there was no Netflix, none of those things. It took longer. And, and books themselves conditioned people into this, you know, their thought processes, their ideas. So visualization is a conditioner what we see and how it's represented and how we visualize it for ourselves, like little girls seeing weddings. Like I remember being a little girl and marrying, marrying my dad because that's, you know, I wanted to play a bride and the only person to be a groom was my dad. And I was just little, I was little, little bitty. And it's not like, I'm like, Oh my God, now I, you know, there's I that, but that's the thing is I saw represented to me a bride and a groom, a boy and a girl, that was what I was conditioned with. And of course, you know, some of us break free of that conditioning to align with our, our authenticity and be our true selves. Um, but it's just, it's, it's fascinating because I also think visualization is part of how we decondition and how we visualize ourselves breaking free of the things that um, are very mind driven. Like, okay, now, now we'll get into some questions. So <laughs> Cause now I'm like, ah, oh, now I can start spinning again. So my questions were, what has your personal experience been with deconditioning now that you've identified that this is what kind of human design is that your strategy, but specifically your authority, that's what you're supposed to be following. How, how has your deconditioning looked? My deep, my personal deconditioning has looked like a pause. I really, I'm such a reactor. I'm such a reactor that I really have to pause and take a moment, like you said, visually, like closing my eyes, visualizing through whatever it is that is facing me at that moment and feeling what my body says to me, feeling what my gut says to me. <clears throat> especially if it's any sort of maybe. I mean, a yes mostly still feels like a hell yes. Like if, if it's something that I know I'm supposed to be doing, I can feel it almost immediately. Um, and, and so a yes is still definitely a hell yes. But whenever it's anything other than that, that feeling that it's almost defensive to me for some reason when I don't know what the answer is. And so for me, it's really a pause and a reflect and, and a visualization of what I need out of that or what I want out of that or what my expectation is. Because I think that's a big part of my deconditioning is we, are, we have an expectation in our head all of the time with whatever the outcome is going to be. And I really have had to re, readjust myself to say, is that really what's going to happen though? Is that a reality expectation? And so feeling my gut has really helped me through those situations. And I feel like it's hard to unknow this stuff once you know it. Like this isn't something that I feel like is going to be something that we, uh, you know, especially because now that we've been really doing this work and, and really diving into it, it's like, there's not a way I feel like people can get into human design and then just abandon ship on themselves again. It's so fascinating. Like there's just no going back. So I, that's also another spoiler warning. If you get into human design, you're going to find that it's going to remove a lot of excuses. And that can be very uncomfortable when you've been making a lot of excuses. 
Um, Definitely is true. And that's one of the pieces that resonated with me in that article was the, the piece like once you step in, there's there's no no unknowing. Like I know. No and I think that that's a really good point. Yep. And, and it's so powerful because once you do start doing these things, it's, it's, it is like what you talked about is that you started making decisions with your authority. Mary and I are both an emotional authority and it's, it's like almost this thing because when we're, when you're an inpatient person somewhat by nature, and I feel like everybody is an inpatient. I, I, there are people with patients, but I think we're all naturally more inclined to, to not be patient. Um, that you really do give yourself a lot more grace for that indecision. I feel like that is the biggest thing Our per, like my, for my personal experience with deconditioning, since I, I wouldn't say, I've got a significant, huge amount of time ahead of you in terms of deconditioning. I'd say maybe like six months. It's probably like we started our, our, our experiments within about six months of each other. So with my six months, it was like the unknowing. I can't unknow this information about human design and what it's telling me I should be doing with my life. And because what it was telling me to do was so the opposite of what I was doing, it created so much friction and resistance. And um, this was back. So let's just say that it was about a year ago. Like that was, I found human design in November, roughly about November of 2019. And then I started doing a little bit of the work. And then I was like, God, I fucking hate my job. Like I'd already hated it. I already knew I didn't want to keep doing it. And I knew I wanted to be, I, I just didn't know that I was allowed as being a projector. I was allowed to say, Hey, working 40 hours a week doesn't work for me. And you're not recognizing what I can bring to the table. Like all of those things were like, Hey, the universe was saying, hey, you dumb bitch, <laughs> you're wasting yourself here. And so last year, my experience with deconditioning was quitting my job without getting a new job. I'm going to say that was like the biggest leap of faith in terms of deconditioning um, because it's made me question everything about if I'm not making money, am I of value to myself or my family or society? Um and that's the biggest conditioning. I think that that my experience with conditioning is really you're lazy if you're not working 40 hours a week because I was raised by generators. And I swear, I, I don't know for sure. I haven't done my parents' charts, but I can tell you just knowing the <laughs> population of generators in this world and, and my parents that I was probably raised by generators or people that were so deeply conditioned outside of their own, their own human design type that then they, and that, I thought about that yesterday. I'm like, I'm jealous of the kind of parent my kids have in me because I parent the way I wish I would have been parented. Less, less, less trying to create control. Like I'm really trying to find ways that I can release some control and not be as controlling. But that was what was modeled to me was mm -hmm. that parents to some degree do control and I don't know. It's interesting. So that was my first question was that what has your personal experience with deconditioning? Um, 
let me get on to my second question. Cause I think we're, we're, we're moving along at a very good clip and I have three questions total. Um, so and you kind of answered this, but I, in this line of thinking, where do you feel that you are the deepest conditioned and what has unpacking that looked like? I think that financial is definitely where most of us are deeper, deepest conditioned. I feel like we have been drilled in that if we're not making money and working those hours and doing the, the grind that we're not worthy. And I think that even for a generator who does easily work 40 to 80 hours a week, um, you know, it's still not, if it's not something that is absolutely lighting me up, it's now I can tell the difference. And so, you know, working hard is never going to be a problem for me, but at the same time, I can tell friction and resistance now in different ways than I ever did before. So, um, kind of mind tricking my body into doing things differently, things that I have to get done anyway, um, things that I can't just put by the wayside. Um, I mean, just, just mentally tricking myself into not feeling so yucky about certain things. And then the things that I absolutely feel that terrible about, I talk to my partners and ask them to take those tasks on because there are certain things, certain phone calls, uh, certain things that absolutely do not, that just make me feel terrible. And it's hard to explain. Um, luckily, I have two great partners in my life to be able to say, I can't really explain this, but I can't do this. Can you? Mm -hmm. um, 99% of the time it gets done. Um, I feel like, so it, it, it's just, sometimes it's hard to explain. And I, with Josh, I could just be like, this makes me super heated or this triggers me in a way that I can't really explain. So can you please? And, and sometimes he can't even make those phone calls in the same room as me. Cause he can see me get so heated. Yeah. It's like, no, babe, I'll just go outside. Don't worry about it. You stay here. I'll go outside with this phone call. That's making you. Insane. I'm going to go for a walk. Yeah. <laughs> So I would say that that's, that's really, no, I think financially you're absolutely right. Because, you know, I had just talked about the, the, you know, being raised by generators that if you're working less than 40 hours a week um, and, you know, I've had conversations with my mom and my mom doesn't really understand what I'm doing. And I, I and it's, it's hard to explain. I mean, like I said, in, in the spoiler, it sounds like you're joining a cult when you talk about human design, because it sounds like someone is telling you what you should be doing with your life. And, that, and it's like, no, 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 no. What is happening is that there's a system now that tells me that there are certain things that do really work well for me and certain things that really don't work well for me. It's not all about this is, the, you know, this is what you're good at or this isn't what you're good at. It's like, these are going to be naturally more difficult or easier. And that's what I think is such a astrology just seems like so all or nothing. And that's the thing is like, everybody's got a bucket and there's certain things in the bucket. And sometimes you can have, you can disperse that every three months or so into a different astrology type, but this isn't so much like it's, I feel like a little bit more graded. It's not like, don't ever do this. Don't ever do that. It's more so like, 
if you do this, like you're going to find it's going to be resistance. I love that. That's the thing is like, everything is always about making it, making the experiment and being a one, three, that is for me, the investigator piece is like, everything is an experiment. Everything is. And some people that don't have the same profile uh, as a one, three, or is someone that doesn't have that investigator in them. That I feel is like where people feel fear failure is when they don't have an investigator profile is because they, they don't see the investigation as part of the process. They see it as um, almost unnecessary. Like I look at my beautiful husband that I love so much and he wants some, he wants things to be a sure thing. And I'm just like, that's why I think is so fascinating is that I, or I love to investigate, but I already know, I can usually tell you in a lot of cases, how things are going to turn out. Like I'm a big, big picture. I'm already seeing outcomes for a lot of things that people don't see. So it's like, the people have the first steps of yeah it's like i i mean it could go this way or it could go this way which way do you want it to go i almost feel like that's how you can present things to people is say well you could be successful or you could be not successful like what what do you need to do for, if you if if being not successful is just a continuation of what you're already doing you're on your way um but for it, me i think that it's it's kind of a I'll, even though, because once you learn this stuff, it's really kind of a reflection. And I think that's kind of what it's done for me too, is once I learn something about myself, I can turn around and look at how that's affected my life and go, oh shit, now I know why I did that or why that happened because ultimately, you know, and so even with the little things now on the daily, I can go, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. I, it's that reflection awareness. And, yeah. and for some of us who don't have that same exact profile, it's, it's really that reflection and going, oh, okay. So much stuff falls into line and makes sense when you can reflect back on it and go, that has to do with, with my generator or with, with my emotional authority. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, it's so true because yeah, we have, and I feel like that's where where I'm a one three and you are two four. Like we have that someone's doing it from the front end and someone's doing it from the back end. Mm -hmm. So you're basically getting bookended with fucking awareness when you work with us. So just be prepared that we are going to snugly fit you between us like a little like a like a layer of Nutella between two pieces of Mary bread and we're gonna make it delicious. <laughs> um that's and there was a couple of things in the article that I liked. And I, the, like the last thing, the last question I was going to ask, which is like such an obvious answer. I'm almost like, it's silly is where do you see conditioning more deeply in others, the ways you are conditioned or the ways you aren't? I would say the ways that people are conditioned. Um, I really, and are they similar to the ways do you just see the similarity and like, Oh, they think the way I used to think. Or is it more that? Um, but I feel like the more that we learn in this journey, the more that we can see as far as other people go too. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, I mean, gosh, the conditioning, there's just so many layers of it um, from 
you know, our patriarchy society. Oh, yes. I mean, we were just talking about the patriarchy for another 30 minutes. Let's know, just right? that. Wait, the financial to how we raise our kids to there's just so many layers of conditioning that is on us from so many angles. It's not just religion. It's, uh, our it's our government it's our it's our society it's our community it's our friends it's our you know it, there's just so many layers of conditioning <clears throat> that yeah that's that's what i see um and i've and i've in looking through this i was just looking back at the article because um there was a couple of things that I thought were really significant that just me. I like the quotes in here, although a few of them, I don't know if you know who Osho is. I think Osho, what the quotes in this article, I believe that that is, you know, the cult in Oregon, the, yeah. I, I do, think that Osho, I know exactly yes, as soon as I say that, you know, this, the one with the food poisoning, um, food poisoning, the, uh, Yes, like Osho, I believe, is the guru that was the one that had all the Rolls Royces. Yes, that's it. So I love what he's quoted by people in like the metaphysical and new age communities as though he wasn't a complete fucking lunatic. <laughs> but I mean, he said some good shit. I mean, really, uh, taken out of context, you could probably put some Hitler quotes out there and attribute them to someone else and people will be like, that one really made me think. <laughs> because people are horrible just kidding um let's see i like this quote i'm going to share the quote because it's just quoted from someplace else and i'll share attribute it to them when you get out of the driver's seat you find that life can drive itself that actually life has always been driving itself when you get out of the driver's seat it can drive itself so much easier it can flow in ways you never imagined life almost becomes magical the illusion of the me is no longer in the way. Life begins to flow and you never know where it will take you. And that was Adyashanti, the end of your world, uncensored straight talk on the nature of enlightenment. Um, and I think that that's, that's a great quote to end on because in reality, everything about human design is about empowerment and really listening and finding ways. And it's like such a, such a change to listen to your body. I, I think that it's one of the hardest, deepest listenings. And when, when Glennon Doyle in her book Untamed talks about the knowing, and when she sits in her closet and listens deep down into herself and finds her knowing, I feel like that is touching our authority and let, and really acknowledging that our body does have a guidance system inside of it. And we can, when we stop trying to make sense of it, and that's what, so much of our human brain is desirous of making sense and order out of what we see as disorder. Um, when you can release that, it's when things really start happening. Absolutely. Without a doubt, with every breath. With every breath. Did you have any other observations before we close this up? Little no, Missy? I think that you closed it just perfectly. Okay. All right. Well, everybody, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Go follow us at Mary's Mentors. We are both on Facebook and on Instagram. Um, you can reach out to us. We have just launched our Quantum Habits Academy. Uh, we have closed the, we are closing the doors tomorrow and no one will hear this before we've actually closed the doors. Um, but as we offer our new boot camp and start getting more in line with, um, being 
a little bit closer to when our episodes are recorded to when they're airing. We will make sure that everyone knows that we have um, the next boot camp coming up. So you have a chance to come work with us for free for five days and see what we can see, what kind of actions we can get you taking. Absolutely. Thank you everyone for joining us. Thank you. Bye. Bye.